What a tremendous opportunity it is to share God's with you this morning. Uh, Let us pray and ask God to bless our time in His Word. Lord, as we come to you at this time, uh, Lord, we already have praised your holy name and we have uh, shown tremendous gratitude uh, to you and thankful and celebrate with uh, the Walters family and uh, their continued uh, commitment to the ways of the Lord uh, for themselves and for their family. And Lord, in the midst of that acknowledgement, we all acknowledge that that is not uh, an easy task. And so, Lord, as we turn to your word, as you share uh, with us uh, the power of your word, Lord, let us receive it in faith. Let us respond in faith. Lord, let us uh, live in the very grace that is given to us in the finished work of Christ. And Lord, we want to continue to worship you and praise you. And so as you teach us uh, this morning from your word, Lord, Uh, I pray that what is communicated would not only be uh, clear and correct, uh, but Lord, it would be uh, convicting because of your spirit uh, speaking through me. Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to continue our series uh, walking through uh, this amazing chapter. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible and open up to page 569. 569. This is our third uh, teaching in this particular series. And what an amazing chapter uh, Psalm 119 has already been uh, for me. I pray it be uh, the same for you. And, and what I love about this particular psalm, this chapter is the consistency of driving us back to God's holy word, right? Uh, And roughly 173 of the 176 verses, it's a direct reference to uh, God's word. Uh, And last week, there was an amazing question that was proposed uh, by the author, the psalmist, and answered in Psalm 119, verse 9. The question was, how can a young man keep his way pure? Man, that question has been resonating with me this entire week. For myself, for my family, for our church. How is it that we can keep our way pure? And the answer to that question is by guarding it according to your word. This psalm is a poem that 176 verses broken into 22 different stanzas. Uh, Each stanza represented by one of the Hebrew letters in the alphabet. Uh, Each stanza consisting of eight uh, verses. And each of those verses in that particular stanza would be represented uh, at the beginning of that verse with the same Hebrew letter. And as an example, on our third uh, week, uh, we're looking at the third letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That is Gimel. And you'll see it all on the right-hand side there. And it's a reminder again that the Hebrew language is right to left, not left to right. Uh, and so uh, there you see it. And way, the way God's word is structured is amazing to me. And what I love about this particular letter is uh, the Hebrew letter for Gimel, it represents a divine supply or divine resources. Uh, oftentimes uh, in Jewish culture, this particular letter would be represented by a camel. And so you just got to put yourself in Middle Eastern culture and that, that trek across the desert, right? Uh, you're on this long journey across the desert, and where are all your supplies going to be carried? Your supplies are going to be carried on a camel, right? And so think about life as a follower of Christ, that we are on this journey of life through all its ups and downs, through all its seasons of uh, 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 plenty and places of uh, desert, 
And where our supply, where is that supply going to be had for us? It's going to be found in God's word. And that's what we find in this particular passage. In verses 17 through 24, uh, the focus on how God's word meets us where we are and gives us exactly what we need. Let's look at the scripture, 17 through 24. The scripture says, the psalmist says, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. And here we see three specific ways that God meets us where we are. Uh, the first way that we see it is God's word for the needy. God's word for the needy. Are you needy this morning? God's word is ready to meet you where you're at. Listen to what the psalmist says beginning in verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Here the psalmist comes from the right, right posture, right? He says, I am what? I am your servant. So when we hear that phrase, deal bountifully with me, he's not coming at it with a demand. He's coming, it, coming from an angle of a plea. I am your humble servant. And his plea is what? Deal bountifully with me. Be generous to me. Treat me with kindness. Give me what is needed for this life's journey. The psalmist is relying on the generous character of God. And as followers of Christ, that's exactly what we're doing. We're pleading with God to be generous to us. To be gracious to us. And that is the bountiful need that we have in this life. That God will be gracious to us. And it's a reminder to us that as humble servants of the Lord, when we posture ourselves in tremendous humility before the Lord, guess what? God will be gracious to us. James writes this in James chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So to every follower of Christ who chooses to live life acknowledging their need before the Lord as servants of the Lord, guess what? There is a storehouse of God's amazing grace waiting for you and waiting for me. The question is, will we surrender ourselves under the authority of God's word? And notice why the psalmist is pleading that the Lord would be gracious to him. He says that I may live and keep your word. He's acknowledging that where the grace of God is found in our life, that is where true life is actually experienced. Lord, be gracious to me so that I can keep your word. Be gracious to me so that I can truly live. Whatever you have called me to, and whatever you have called me for, I trust that you will provide by your grace what is needed. You know, one of the things that plagues us as the people of God is we think that the great motivator of your life and my life is shame and guilt, right? Listen, shame and guilt is a horrible master. And yet that's exactly how we communicate sometimes. You better do this or this. 
And, and it's a place of shame and guilt. And so many of us, we, we want to try to live well. We want to try to do what's best and what is right. But we keep going back to guilt and shame. How many of us are still held captive by some of the past mistakes that we've made? And there's guilt and shame. Listen, that is not the motivator that you and I need to live lives according to God's word. In fact, I love what the Apostle Paul does uh, to the church in Corinth. And the immediate context here is he is motivating the church to be generous and joyous givers. And here's what I love. He doesn't get up before the church and he doesn't guilt them or shame them into being generous and joyous givers. That's not the well that he goes to. The well that he goes to is the abundant grace of God. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What motivates us, what inspires us, what empowers us to live lives according to God's word is not guilt and shame. It's the grace that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's grace is sufficient. It provides exactly what we need in order to live for him. This is why the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The psalmist says, Lord, if you do not open my eyes to the wondrous things that are found in your word, I'm not going to see it. You know, the reality is, as followers of Christ, we need to recognize that all of us have blinders when it comes to God's word. Do you believe that today? Let me prove it. Blinders due to past experiences. Sometimes we, we take our past experiences and we try to infuse that into the Word of God. And because of that, there's blinders. Sometimes we have blinders due to our upbringing, blinders due to our own sinful desires, blinders due to our own lack of faith. And if we aren't careful, we will read God's Word through the lens of those blinders. In other words, it is possible to come to God's Word time and time again and not be that impressed. I don't know about you. But I, when I open God's word, I want to be impressed. I want to be in awe of what he has said and what he has declared over me. And yet we bring the wrong lens to the scripture. And we, we need to plead that God would open our eyes to the wondrous things in his word. I love the story in, uh, in Luke 24, shortly after Jesus resurrected from the dead. Uh, two men were on the road to Emmaus, and, and Jesus encounters them. They don't recognize that it's Jesus uh, right away, and, and Jesus begins to unpack the Scripture for them. Things that they have already read, things that they have memorized, things that they have uh, seen before their eyes, and yet the Scripture says something amazing. That this response to what Jesus did for them in Luke 24, 32, the scripture says, And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we, he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Oh, that our hearts would burn within us because the Lord has opened our eyes to the scripture. The Lord himself is who opened the eyes. When Paul prayed uh, for the church in Ephesus, he prays that their eyes would be open. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's pray praying on behalf of the church. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. In other words, that God would do what? That he would open your eyes to the things of the Lord. That's why he says in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul says, Lord, I pray that you would give the people of Ephesus, the church there, the church today, eyes, spiritual eyes to see what you see. That at the very innermost parts of who we are, where decisions are made, actions are carried out, and thoughts are planted in, that, Lord, you would enlighten the eyes of our heart, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? I mean, Paul is grasping for every word that he can come up to to express the greatness of God's power. He wants us to know the magnitude of God's power, his strength, his energy, his ability to overcome, to resist, to supply exactly what we need. I mean, think about all the times that we have opened up the Bible and didn't see what God wanted us to see. Do you think that's possible? In all your years of Bible study, do you think it's possible that you sat down with probably no, knowledge, no acknowledgement that you needed God to open up your eyes and you did hours of study and missed out on everything that God wanted to teach you? The servant of God understands that unless God opens our eyes to the wonders of his word, we will miss it over and over and over again. Lord, in our time of need, open our eyes to see the wondrous things of the word. Is that what you're doing now in your time of need? When you go before the Lord, are you asking the Lord as his servant to open your eyes to the wonders of his word? So God's word for the needy. Second, God's word for the exiled. For the exiled. This is amazing. Verse 19. The psalmist says, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. That word sojourner reminds us that, that this is not our home, right? And the psalmist, he, he acknowledges this. He, this is his personal testimony. And if this is Daniel, we don't know who wrote this particular chapter, but let's say it was Daniel. Daniel would have been full well known of, of what a sojourner was, right? He's born in Israel. He's held in captivity in Babylon, right? And the reality is you and I, we're sojourners too, right? We're exiles living in a foreign land. This is not our home, right? It doesn't matter what citizen you are when it comes to the land that you live in. We are ultimately, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are citizens of heaven, right? That's what the scripture teaches us. And as citizens of heaven living on this earth, we must never forget who our ultimate allegiance is to, right? It is to the Lord himself. We must never forget that as the people of God, we represent him and his kingdom. You know, when the apostle Peter is writing to a portion of the early church, the early church uh, experienced great persecution because of Nero. And they had been scattered from their homeland. They are sojourners, if you will. And this is what he teaches them. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, so he's talking to the church, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which, war, which wage war against your soul. In other words, you think about it just in earth, a physical sense. When you, when you go to a foreign country, 
guess what? You are going to be exposed to what? Different culture, right? In fact, in Charleston, you could go to different parts of Charleston and be exposed to different types of culture. Now, the question is, what are you going to choose to adapt? What are you going to choose to absorb into your life? In a greater sense, as a, as a spiritual people of God, knowing that our citizenship is in heaven, though we live on this earth, the question is, what are we going to absorb? In other words, we need to remember that the world that we live in is opposed to the kingdom that we're going to, right? They're in opposition to one another. And because of that, we're going to face all kinds of tensions. And so we must never forget who we truly are, right? We are children of God. Therefore, we live in enemy territory as a child of God. That's why Peter says that we are to abstain from things. That means leave them alone. Right? And what does he say to abstain from? Passions of the flesh. And this isn't just sexual immorality. It includes that. But it's everything that your fleshly desire, your sinful desires enjoy. Right? And guess what? We live in a world that wants to promote the satisfaction of every sinful desire that you can even think of. Right? Do you believe that? I mean, you look anywhere and everywhere. That's where it's at. And why does Peter say to stay away from it? Why does he say abstain from those things? He says they wage war against your soul. That is a strong phrase. That is a military term. It's a, an aggressive pursuit against you. In other words, the flesh is bent towards rebellion against God. And guess what? As Even as followers of Christ, there is still the residual effects of that sinful nature in our, in our souls, right? In our body, right? We still desire to satisfy the flesh, right? It's warring against us, right? I mean, think about all the baggage that you have from your past life before you came to Christ. Does that not come up every once in a while? I mean, think about the attitudes that you've even embraced today as a follower of Christ. How many of us don't still struggle with self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-centeredness? Maybe I'm the only one. But those, that battle is real. And the scripture reminds us over and over again that though that struggle is real, that is true, you are victorious in that struggle because of Christ who lives in you. The scripture teaches us that we have been gifted by God's grace a new way of life. And that new way of life has a tremendous purpose. Peter goes on to say in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and do what? And glorify God on the day of visitation, right? The glory of God is at stake, in a sense. That when people see our lives, that it's different from the world, that they would glorify the Lord. That's why the psalmist says, hide not your commandments from me. In other words, as I live as an exiled person in a foreign land, in enemy territory, I need God's word to be my guide. I need God's word to be my instruction. So much so that the psalmist says in verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. I love that word consumed. It's the word that means crushed. He says, my soul is crushed. I'm in need of your holy word. I hunger for God's word. It is what anchors my life on the right path. And so we must acknowledge the tension, right? There is a great tension between not ignoring the world but also not engaging into the things of the world. So there's a holy separation, but there's also a holy engagement. 
And with this tension, we have a choice. And here's the choice that you and I are faced with every single day. We can either stand under the banner of God's word, or we can stand under the banner of the world. We can't do both. Our relationship with the world must be governed by the cross of Christ. That's what the scripture teaches us time and time again. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 15, verse six, and, uh, 16, Look carefully then how you walk, in other words, how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not uh, be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I love it. Our time is limited on this earth, right? Our time is limited in Charleston. Our time is limited wherever you move to next. And the scripture says that, that we are to redeem the time. That means buy up every opportunity you can to leverage your life in such a way that the glory of God is displayed in and through you. That's what the scripture is teaching us. Now, if we're living in enemy territory, away from our true homeland, and we're not acknowledging our need for the Lord, and, and, and we're not consumed, crushed, by that need for the Lord, God's word, how well are we going to bring glory to God in our life? We're just, we're just passing through. In other words, we own nothing, right? And yet we are stewards of everything that God has given to us. Leverage all things for the glory of the Lord. So we have God's word for the needy, God's word for the exile. Uh, third, God's word for the persecuted. God's word for the persecuted. There's a little shift that begins to happen in verses 21 through 23. The scripture says, you, so the psalmist is talking about the Lord, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander uh, from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, so these people in high leaderships plot against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. So here's the psalmist. Uh, he's needy. He's in exile. And guess what? He is being persecuted. And it's a reminder to us, according to God's word, guess what? As a needy people living in a foreign land, we too will be persecuted. Uh, when Jesus is uh, spending those last uh, moments with his disciples before he goes to the cross, he addresses this very thing. In uh, verse, uh, uh, chapter 15 of John, uh, in verses 18 through 20, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In other words, there is going to be hostility between you and the system of the world and the people in the world, right? But know this, first, they hated him. And here is the psalmist. He's thinking through his life. And what is he doing? He's recognizing the persecution that he is facing. The, the scripture says that, that, that he has been scorned. That means he's been despised and he's been humiliated and he's been held in contempt. In other words, he's been mistreated by those around him. He's been devalued as a person. And why is he experiencing this? Because he chooses to follow the Lord. Verse 22, for I have kept your testimony. That's a reminder to us that when we choose to daily submit our lives to the word of the Lord, to the will of God, and we live according to his ways, guess what? We too will face persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now that persecution comes in many different forms, right? It's not always martyrdom, right? It doesn't mean that your life is going to end. It's possible. 
But there are other ways that we are persecuted. We have to acknowledge that when we truly dedicate our lives to the ways of the Lord, we will face uh, despisement, humiliation. We will be devalued, right? The question is, what are we going to do when we face that persecution? And I love what the psalmist does. The psalmist says that he meditates on the Lord's word. In the midst of that opposition, in the midst of that persecution, he's clinging to the word of God. And as he clings to the word of God, he's trusting that the Lord will comfort him in his distress. The psalmist said, take away from me scorn and contempt. That phrase, take away, means to to roll away, to roll like a stone, to roll a stone away. Lord, I feel the burden of humiliation. I feel the burden of rejection. I feel the burden of mistreatment. And I cling to your word for comfort. I trust that you will roll the burdens of my life into the comfort of your word. I didn't say that the burdens of your life will cease to exist. But I did say, according to the word of God, that those discomforts will be rolled into the comfort of the Lord. And the psalmist says, I trust in your comfort. He also says, I'm relying on your word because I'm trusting that the Lord will judge rightly. The psalmist says, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones. This means that God and God alone will put a stop to the evil deeds of the arrogant, the prideful, those who don't even acknowledge that there is a God, right? And notice that when that persecution comes into his life, when he has been wronged by those who despise him and despise his Lord, He's not coming up with an eight-point plan on how he's going to retaliate against them, right? It's not an eye for an eye, right? He doesn't do that at all. He's not trying to make all wrongs right in his eyes. That's not where he's spending his time. He's trusting that God and God alone will judge rightly. I mean, think about when you're wronged, when you're persecuted, when somebody's wronged you, humiliated you, mistreated you. Our natural instinct isn't, well, I'm just going to leave it up to the Lord. No. There's something inside of us, deep inside of us, that says, I'm going to get you back. Right? And that's not what the psalmist does. The psalmist knows that the word of God instructs him on the comfort that God provides and the fact that God will judge rightly. And when the Apostle Paul writes about this very thing in the book of Romans, he says these words, now think about how this is countercultural, right? This is why the gospel matters in your life and my life. Romans 12, 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do you see why we need the gospel in our life? That's totally contrary to what we desire on our own. In other words, be gracious to them. Then he goes on to say in verses 17 through 19, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. A beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do you trust? Do you trust that? You know, sometimes in life we may trust it in, until something else happens. We feel like we got to help God out a little bit, right? No, the, the, the person who is committed to the word of God is trusting that God will judge rightly, that God will comfort them the way that needed to be comfort. To your enemy who is hungry, guess what? The scripture says, give him food. To your enemy who is thirsty, the scripture says, guess what? Give him something to drink. In other words, do not conquer evil by doing evil, but conquer evil by doing what? 
good. That's what the scripture teaches us. So what is our one takeaway this morning? Uh, God's word is our anchor for life, right? Why? Because as followers of Christ, we are the needy ones. We are the ones who are living in exile. We are the ones who are being persecuted. And our anchor, our anchor is the word of God. The psalmist says in verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. In other words, God's word is my power. It is my satisfaction. It is my guide for life. His word not only counsels my actions, but it actually ministers to my soul. God's word informs my mind of what is true and it ministers to my soul to believe what is true. I remember when uh, right before Jesus goes to the cross, right after that John 15 passage that we uh, looked at a few minutes ago, in John 16, uh, Jesus says something amazing. So put those two things in your mind, that God's word informs my mind of what is true, but it also ministers to my soul to believe what is true. See how this unfolds in John 16, verse 33. I, Jesus, says, uh, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So the scripture tells us straight up, listen, you're, you're going to have some tough times, right? You're going to suffer on account of me, right? You're going to have external struggles, internal struggles. That's the reality. But there's another reality that's even greater than that. Take heart, have hope. I have overcome the world. You see how God's word informs us of what is true, but it also ministers to our soul so that we will believe what it's true. When the prophet Isaiah is speaking in Isaiah 40, he says these words, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall, fall exhausted. But they who wait, those who rest, those who trust, for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Amen. We will grow weary in this land. We will find ourselves in great places of chaos and heartache and struggle that stretches our capacity. But yet God's word says, I give strength to the weak. I give strength to the weak. Oh, that we would learn to rest in the word of God. The prophet Isaiah says, God's love, God loves to give strength and power and refreshment to the empty vessel. Do you feel empty today? Mom, dad, caregiver, one who has experienced grief and loss, the one who struggles to make ends meet, the one who battles the same desire of the flesh day after day after day. God loves to give strength and nourishment and refreshment to empty vessels. Strength for every task, every trial, and for every day. To the needy, to the exile, and to the persecuted. God's word informs your mind of what is true. And it ministers to your soul to believe what is true. Oh, that we would trust Psalm 37, verse 5, that if we commit our way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act.
he will act. As you just hear God's word this morning, as you have come to him, do you recognize your need for him? Do you recognize that you are truly living as a follower of Christ in exile? This is not your home. And that God's word is our guide. God's word is our instruction. God's word is our path to true life. And do you recognize uh, today that though we face persecution, God's word is the comfort that we need. And we can trust that God will judge rightly. That we leave vengeance to him. He knows our circumstances. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggles. He knows how we've been wronged. He also knows how we've wronged others, right? But yet, in the midst of all that, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace and God's guidance for today and every day. Do you trust in that? That's why God's word is so important. God, would you open our eyes to the wondrous things in your life?